0: Hello and welcome to Teaching Python. This is Episode Seven, Teaching with the Micro:bit, for January 14th, 2019. So my name is Sean Tiber. I'm a coder who recently began teaching.
1: Yeah, and I'm Kelly Paredes, and I am a teacher who recently became began coding.
0: For the two of us, we've been coding using Python this year for the first time, so it's something that we have really gotten into and found a lot of passion around. we're going to talk about today is one of those critical tools that we've used throughout our Python teaching experience, the BBC Microbit.
1: The BBC Microbit has been essential for me in my learning in Python, and so we wanted to highlight that
0: this week. So Kelly, before we get into the Microbit, What we're gonna start this episode is something called the wins of the week. So something that was particularly exciting for you, something that was a big breakthrough, either for you or for one of your students.
1: We had a little pause moment on coding Python this week, just coming back from break, the kids weren't exactly into right away with coding. And then we talked about data science and artificial intelligence and machine learning this week. And I think one of the biggest wins I had was I, I couldn't get them out the door. <laughs> the, the conversations, they were so interested in and the fact to, to know that Python was one of the key components in machine learning and artificial intelligence and they were, they were learning about something that was related to something they already know. So we talked a lot about facial recognition and other things that are happening.
0: I noticed that a lot of your students were really engaged by this topic this week. In fact, they were asking me about things like facial recognition and artificial intelligence and machine learning associated with that. And then I introduced them to the idea of gait analysis, where you can use an algorithm to analyze an individual's gait and use that to identify them. So I thought that was a pretty cool thing, and that just really blew their mind. They were amazed that that was something that was even possible.
1: Yeah, and we did a lot of things we talked about. I know they don't use Python on this one, but the Google Quick Draw and how they had someone who converted the quick draw code into Python and that was pretty interesting to them and then we were also looking at machine learning for and just the ability to train the machine was something that
0: they were really excited about. For me on my side this week is project week with just two weeks left in, in this course. We're really jumping into individualized projects and what I'm seeing is the kids who are getting into it and really like really excited about their projects are just making tremendous progress day by day today we had some kids that were working on the lights on a circuit playground board and we figured out how to make it so that it would respond to claps so when you clap the lights would turn on when you clapped again it would turn off and so they got into some simple state machines as well and got really excited about that it's
1: kind of like those old school you probably don't know these but we actually have one here the The, clapper (laughs) the old no the old school plug it in and it's the red light green light yellow light too much noise in the classroom
0: system (laughs) it's great (laughs) So we're going to jump into the micro bit. The micro bit is something that we have used from the very beginning of this year throughout the two courses that we've taught already. It's funny. I had never heard of the micro bit before about May of this year. So <laughs> I was interviewing at my current school and was asked to come in and teach a demo lesson on the micro bit. And so I remember it was like a Wednesday or Thursday afternoon and I went over to the school and picked up a, an extra board and took it home over the weekend and taught myself how to code on it as much as I could for a single lesson. And so I did a, a brief introduction on it. So for me, it's really been you know less than a year working with the micro bit, but it's really done so much for us in the classroom in terms of our students' abilities to learn Python.
1: I love the BBC micro:bit. It came out in the UK, what, in the past five, six years. And I just love what BBC did in order to get everyone in coding. And it was something that it was really big, and when it started to pick up speed here in the United States, I was a little bit apprehensive about this tiny little board with a couple of lights on it, and I was a little bit negative, I have to say, at first, but when I started playing around with it and seeing how the kids can light up on the grid, I think what a powerful little tool and, and so easy to purchase because it's not really expensive. Yeah. and so easy to use, actually.
0: I agree. So we just to give you a, a little bit of background on the micro bit, it's a very inexpensive processor board. It's about two inches tall by, or two inches wide by about an inch and a half tall. It runs either MicroPython or Make Code from Microsoft, which is running TypeScript underneath the hood. It has two buttons on it uh, that you can use for input. It has a little reset button, connects to your computer via micro USB so you can download programs to it. It has a five by five LED matrix, like kind of classic old school red LEDs on the, on the front of it. It also has a few sensors built into it. You can actually get light levels back from the LED matrix. It has a, an accelerometer built into it for three dimensional motion. And it has a, thermometer built into it as well, so you can read temperature readings from it as well. What I really like about it, and I think this is one of the things that makes it preferable in a lot of ways, is the radio that's built into it. So the radio is compatible with Bluetooth, and you can actually connect it to your phone and do coding on a phone or an iOS device or Android, but you can also use the radio to send simple messages back and forth between microbits as kind of like a broadcast station of those messages. So it's a pretty interesting way to to teach kids about IoT, the Internet of Things, using this small board.
1: And what I really like, I like the, the sensors. I mean, it, even just the simple sensors of taking it and, and cal- having the temperature on it, just a quick little program. I think we used five lines to code and and convert in from Celsius to Fahrenheit. It's pretty accurate if you look around at other temperature thermometers or use it in the science classroom. it's It's just a great little sensor And microbit processor. It's great.
0: The other thing that I wanted to mention is the physical design of the hardware is really quite well done here. It is pretty durable especially for the surface mount components that are soldered on. It holds up really well. We probably have 45 or 50 of them in our classroom that we use between the two of us and I would say we've maybe lost two or three of them to damage over the course of the the first half of the year and that's generally like one of those surface mount buttons getting ripped off or the, the solder joints breaking but other than that they get tossed around they get used they get beat up by our middle school students pretty much every day.
1: And we throw them around and I know that I carry them back and forth to the classrooms and everything so it's, it's great and you know what I like the best was the 3D printed case that we did to in order to store them. So it's just such a great little tool. If you wanted kids to take it out, I mean, what do we pay? 12 quid? 12, 18 dollars?
0: Yeah, I think something like that there. It's supposed to be under 20. Yeah. And and it makes it, you know, kind of an affordable versatile tool for teaching computer science.
1: And I really like just showing them the first thing we do when we get it is I I like them to look at the back of the micro bit and it's funny because I always tell them, you know, I can't really read it very well. I feel like I my eyesight's going, but they like to look at the little dots and the connections and they can pretty much see because they have it nicely labeled of where the USB and the reset button and the compass and processor are. So it's just nice for them to see the actual work in the back. And then when we start doing soldering, they can tell that, oh, yeah, these buttons have been soldered on. And I think it's just nice.
0: It's just a great physical design. One of the things that we'll, we'll get into also is the way that it's, it's, it's extensible, the way that you can extend it to do other things. You know, there's a whole row of kind of, of gold plated connectors along the bottom. While only five of them are labeled for output and input, There's actually 20 different pins on here that you can use and you can connect them to I2C sensors. So anything that has an I2C address and capabilities, you can hook up to this. You can connect NeoPixel strips to it, the WS8412 NeoPixel strips to it for control there. You know, there's also many different accessories and add-ons that have been made for it that let you use a micro bit to control other things. So we'll talk a little bit about some of those later on in the episode. You know, now that we have this nifty little device, How do we teach it? What's the sequence that we go through that we found that works pretty well? And then what are the best practices that we've identified after that? So Kelly, what's the first thing that you like to teach on the micro bit when you put it in kids' hands? What's the first thing you do with them?
1: To be honest, I I really, the first thing I do is install Moo which I found to be, and I think we both agree that Moo has been the platform of choice for us. I just like to have them install Moo and I just like them to look at the microbit. That's one of the first things I do. And then once we get in there, I just have them give a a list of vocabulary. You know, I'm very big on knowing how to say the right parts. I don't like them to use the thingy as their their description. So I pretty much have them try to figure out all the parts and have them acknowledge that it's, it's a tiny computer. They look at what's on there and where's the Bluetooth, and I make them point and look and talk it out and try to figure it out on their own. So that's one of the, actually, the first things before I even get in there. But one of the very first codes that I have them do is just to have them display a smiley face and a meh face because I think I know we're supposed to do hello world and that's our first program to write but there's nothing more exciting for them to see a meh on the screen of a 5x5 grid.
0: Well especially knowing that they did it too right so the idea that if I press the A button I can get a smiley face if I press the B button I can get a, a meh face and it's something that they wrote and they feel empowered by doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, And at that stage, especially when we do it, they don't really understand exactly what they've written yet or or why it works the way they do. It's really more of a pattern recognition. Here's the code that we're going to write together. We want you to type this in exactly. And we start to get them into that mindset of being precise and being able to follow Specific instructions.
1: Yeah, and then I found a website. We'll post it on our website later on. But there was a website that had more than the images that were already given to us on the the Microbit MicroPython website. And just to be able to flash up the fact that they can have a boat sinking, or you know, a pitchfork, or Christmas, or Pac-Man, and do that in a matter of two lines was—it took them like the whole 42 minutes. They were playing with the imagery (laughs) and the display dot scroll.
0: I've seen that as well with my students. They really gravitate towards those things that are fun and playful and enjoyable. We want this to be something that feels like play. And the nice thing about the physical, tactile nature of the micro bit is that it is something they get instant feedback on. They press the button, they see the, the result right away, and it's something that they see that happen and they get the immediate feedback and it becomes much more intuitive for them when they're seeing it in their hands versus on a screen. Yeah,
1: and that was a, that's one of the ways that I first started doing the five minute challenges. I felt like I didn't even have to teach really what I was doing at the very beginning. I gave them the first code of from microbit import and while true display scroll hello world and I said to them what's happening? Write this code and, and run it, drop the hex file into your microbit and, and tell me what's going on with these three lines of code and I just want you to to actually say it in words what's happening. And then we introduced the comment features and it was such a, a fun feeling to see that they could actually translate the Python right away.
0: Then the, the next stage from that, that I really like about the micro bit is, it's really easy to put up a smiley face or a meh or something like that, because there's these this wonderful library of pre-built images. But then we start to get into actual Python concepts through the LED matrix. And that to me is really interesting. It lo- this five-by-five five matrix is individually addressable. So you can light up any of the LEDs on the front using a list or using a a string of characters. So then we can start to explore, well, what is the string? How how do we build that string? Could we build it dynamically? What's the way that we can, can use this to start animating things on the micro bit display?
1: And I thought it was pretty funny. The connections that they made to sort of like a coordinates grid. When I gave them a question, I said, what is parentheses zero comma zero comma one? What is that gonna show on the, on the micro bit? It was a great conversation just to get them to try to come up with the answers. And we made a connection and I said, well, let's plug it in and then let's try to make that dot move across the five by five grid. And without even showing them anything else except for display dot set underscore pixel and the values, the kids were able to, to draw the line moving across. So it's amazing what we did in the first seven, seven days of, of the course.
0: It really goes quickly, and that's one of the things that's worked really well with this for us, is that sequence that we go through. And then we start to get into the sensors. So being able to use the micro bit as a sensor platform, using the accelerometer in there, using the thermometer the light level sensors. So being able to use that not only to plot and see data using the Moo plotter, which is amazing, but also to be able to use that data to and those events to trigger other actions to happen. So the nice thing about the micro bit is that you can use it as a way to open up other concepts and other ideas, because in order for the sensor to work, it has to interact with the outside world, with the physical world. So we've used the compass part of the microbit, for example, to be able to talk about the Earth's magnetic field and true north versus magnetic north. We use this as a way to think more broadly about the physical world and how we can use computing and computer science to understand and you know, plan for events that happen in the physical world in a very structured and disciplined way.
1: The biggest highlight when the kids learn that they can use the accelerometer to control the little robots to make it move and to radio radio the information back and forth. I think that uh, the concept of the accelerometer was something that I don't, I'm not sure at first they really got the XYZ plane. But as they, they realized they could shake the, the microbit and clear a screen or shake a microbit and have it start counting as a step counter, it was something that was like, wow, that, that little thing just did that.
0: And then making that connection to other applications of that same principle in the devices that they have all around them. So one of the things that I love about teaching computer science at this age to middle school students is that in one sense, you're taking away some of the mystery and the magic of the technology world that they live in. Our students have grown up in the iPhone era and have always had an iPad, have always had an iPhone. They don't know anything differently. And so for them, a lot of this stuff just works. And they don't really have to understand it or understand why it works or how it works. They just use it as part of their day-to-day lives. And when we show them things like the accelerometer and then say, well, this is the exact same type of component that is in your phone that can detect when your phone's moving around Uh oh now I get it right it takes away some of the magic but it restores it in a different way that allows them to feel like they can do something now if I can program a micro bit to respond when I shake to it why can't I program my phone to do that or why can't I make an app to do something it's the same concept
1: I think just making those connections and having them having them take something that they've done with an outside world that's gonna keep them hooked Keep going to keep them interested, especially you know the Bluetooth and the sending across the messages. It's it's again something that seems magical, but then it starts to to make sense in their world. So it's a great it's a great tool.
0: And the nice thing about the way that the API is set up, and we can talk about that for a minute, the packages are simplified. It's a reduced set of the Python standard library with some extra features added in. For the micro Python and the micro bit platform. So, for example, the radio library is extremely simple. Mm-hmm. I set a radio channel and I can send a message out as a string or as a number or, or however I want to do it, and it just broadcasts out and receiving it is nearly as simple. I have a message queue and I can receive, I can pull messages off that queue and do some action with that. The way that the architecture is set up from a software perspective, it really enables the students to quickly start to assemble this into the programs or the solutions that they're looking for to solve their problems.
1: So in our, in our 20% time project, I know a lot of my kids choose the micro bit just because it's something that they can see solutions for and they often go to the micro bit, micro website and it's listed out in, in such a way that if they wanna do motion, they can go and look on the sidebar and click and find the function to use in the code. And I just think I just think that the the availability to do a lot of fun things with this micro bit, it it just makes it accessible.
0: And I think that's also that goes back to the strength of Python too. It does not require a lot of code and a lot of overhead to make the microbit do what you want it to do. Mm. So I've Prior to this, I've spent time coding on the Arduino platform. You know, a lot of the Adafruit platform is written in Arduino and uses C, and just the level of, of knowledge, the learning curve for that language and that, those libraries can be pretty pretty intense. I'm seeing just a much smoother adoption for our students because the language is so accessible and the library is very logically organized and makes sense.
1: When I first introduced the 20% time earlier on the year, I told them, you need to write a minimum of 15 lines of code for your 20% time, just trying to give them a benchmark of some sort. And then they got so, I think yesterday when we were working with one of our most, one of our introverted students, she was like, oh no, Well, if I put that up on the same line, I only have uh, 10 lines of code. Is that okay? And I said, that's okay. You can write it in one line and you can split it up and it's 15 (laughs) lines. It's okay. But she was pretty amazed that it was such a small code to do what she wanted to do for her toothbrush, timer, reminder system. So it was kind of nice.
0: It results in very compact code to do what you want. In terms of best practices, what are some of the things that you found, Kelly, that are the tried and true methods for getting started with the microbit, ensuring that students are successful, are there any particular approaches that you take that help students gain an understanding faster with the micro bit?
1: So there's a lot of little nuances that sometimes get to us. I just first step of understanding the Moo editor for the kids, even though it's very user friendly just having them trust the system and push some buttons because they're always you know, afraid they're gonna break something or delete something or not save something. So not necessarily showing them all that Moo can do in the very beginning, um, but over time, showing them the, the, the capability of that system. That's something that I find is really important when we're coding.
0: With Moo, what I found the best sequence seems to be to get them to a basic or a core pathway to be able to get their code running on the micro bit. Mm -hmm. So how do you you launch Moo? How do you create a new program? How do you flash it to the micro bit? How do you save that file to your local system so that you've got a copy of it? And then perhaps showing them things like the serial monitor so they can see some Mm of their their statements coming back, print statements come back through the REPL or, or the serial monitor. The other thing that seems to work really well that gets them excited about it, or at least they think it's cool, is showing them how to turn on dark mode. (laughs) For some reason, dark mode in the Moo editor is, makes them feel like they're hacking the matrix, that this is now, now they're doing something cool when it's in dark mode compared to the traditional light.
1: I personally like the tab system of Moo. They kind of laugh at me because the Moo tab system kind of looks like my Chrome browser when I have about 25 programs hanging up there in Moo so I can click back and forth and I said, remember when we did temperature back here and we translated that and we had displayed dot scroll. So I do like that feature and I think the kids are getting used to the fact that all their programs are still open mm-hmm. and they get afraid about closing it, but I, I said, don't worry, you can close it. They're all saved.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because for, for me and I think for you having grown up in the era where we weren't internet connected and everything was your local hard drive and you know if you lost your your hard drive the world ended because all of your data was lost these students have grown up in the the cloud generation Mm -hmm. and and where everything is just in the cloud and so this idea of a file system where they actually have to save a file and load it back it's surprising to me how uncomfortable or inexperienced they are with that but by the end of our course they're pretty pretty comfortable with it.
1: Yeah. So one of the other things that's kind of a little bit of a, I shouldn't say a pain, but a little bit of a cost that you have to be aware of with the microbit are the new, new computers, the USB to the USB-C ports. I think we have a lot of issues with with kids stealing our our adapters
0: or, bo- or accidentally stealing, borrowing stealing accidentally
1: borrowing sorry that's correct no, it's it's not like they're re- really stealing them but they are little small things that it, are easily placed into their backpack they disappear a lot so I think that's one of one of the things you need to consider when you're working with a one-to-one program and it's not your own computers the kids have different Ports, and you have to be aware of that system and it's, it's a little bit of a, a drag when you when you say oh I don't have any more converters by your own so sorry
0: it is definitely a bit of a, a challenge to keep enough cables going and, and make sure that they have all the bits and pieces that they need to be able to connect it one of the things that's worked really well was that we 3d printed a micro bit holder mm-hmm. that we can use to organize all of our micro bits and store them rather than just in piles everywhere in addition to that, we've also got a lot of these you know, about four or five inch long micro USB cables that seem to work pretty well also because most kids don't really want to take those home with them, no. right? and They're not really convenient for anything other than working with a micro bit.
1: I think we need a print a 3D printer uh, holder for our USB to USB-C cables.
0: <laughs> it's true, true. <laughs> well, either that or some sort of like alarm system when they leave the room. So, you know, the other the other best practice that I think you've done remarkably well, Kelly, is the flow to code. So, how do you get the program flow established for your for what you want to do and then how do you help students learn how to code that?
1: Well, it's that blank canvas, that blank screen that scares the kids a lot. And uh I find that you just if you don't know where to start, the kids kind of freeze and they'll spend the whole 42 minutes just looking at a blank green on the Moo editor. Sometimes it's just okay to push your your computer back and to grab the piece of paper and write out what they need to do. That flow to code may not always be the the best policy or the best trick, but it, it works for the newbies, I think. And just being able to write what they want, what do you want to do? Turn the micro bit on what do you want it to sense do you want the button how are you going to start it what do you, what's the first thing and then from the flow from the flow chart we we go into the editor and they start typing almost in most of the time it's not even a pseudo code but it's a it's a hashtag comment It's pretty much a sentence or an essay sometimes with some kids of what they want that code to be. And then from there, we can look for keywords or some other code. And and even if the code doesn't quite make sense or it's not organized properly, at least they have something now on the screen that if they go and do a check they can start seeing some syntax errors, and, and that kind of helps them get started. So that flow-to-code method has really worked for us.
0: The other thing that I really like doing with the micro bit also is if they're stuck in that at that point where they're trying to you know, fill out their code or to outline it or to get the basic structure in place, being able to go look at other people's code on GitHub or other places. The microbit tutorial site is fantastic for code samples and snippets where they can take a basic block of code that may just turn on some of the lights or may read a value from one of the sensors, and they can copy and paste that into their own editor and use that within the structure of their program. So that idea that you started off with, you know, flowchart to pseudocode or outline or some sort of control structure and then the full code, that last bit can be filled in quite a bit by uh, the examples and tutorials and everything that's available online in a really rich way for the students.
1: And I find there's a lot of information out there. A lot of projects already completed in make code. When the kids go searching for things, they find a lot of the JavaScript block code Programs and they want to do those. And sometimes that scares them because they're not really sure what's happening there. But at the same time, if we kind of dissect it or write that block code into a flowchart, then they're able to think more in a Pythonic way.
0: It's interesting to use the make code almost as your flowchart, right? Mm-hmm. Or your prototyping language. You can find these examples online and there's nearly a one-to-one parity between the capabilities of make code and MicroPython. So you're able to translate from one to the other in a pretty much direct fashion.
1: The one biggest find that I was so excited about was EduBlocks. I found that this summer before we started teaching, and I was like, oh my goodness. And then when I started investigating Edublocks, I realized... That the person who who designed EduBlocks was twelve years old yeah. at the time, um, and he he actually says on on his website that I saw there was a need for a program that would help primary school teachers bring different text based programming, and I said, wow, that kid was pretty smart, and yeah. so he found that he's found the niche, found the need in the in the system, and what EduBlocks does is it has that block system that will convert into Python scripts and just being able to plug some blocks in and to see what that code would be or is and then use it on your own, I mean, that, that was a
0: lifesaver. I agree. I think it's, it's such a wonderful story, the way that, that Edgy Blocks emerged. What I explained to my students as well is that Edgy Blocks doesn't necessarily make it easier. It just makes things more visible. Mm-hmm. So if you're struggling to figure out what was that keyword or what was that function or method or object that I need to access for this uh, the edgy blocks framework will make that available to you and visible but you still have to know how it all fits together it's still generating python behind the scenes so you still have to follow many of the same conventions and thought processes that you would if you were writing python through text
1: yeah and it just gives them that if they get stuck they can go in and pull some some blocks together and look, I'm just clicking away right now, it's very addicting, and then you can click and then you can see that written out. Again, they may not code in EduBlocks the whole time, but just knowing what maybe function or what type of words to search for on Google based on on what they find in EduBlocks, it really helps. Just again, giving them something to put on that blank screen gets them started.
0: Yep. I think the, the last best practice is something that we picked up at the Carnegie Mellon Robotics Institute uh, this summer when we were there for training was this concept of matching the student's intent to the outcome and going through the process with a student to question what was your intent when you, when you wanted this code to work, what did you want it to do? What are you observing it actually doing? What are you seeing as the output or as the result of your program? What's the difference between the two and why is that happening? So this works particularly well with Microbit. As an example, you can ask a student, well, what did you want this to do? Well, when I press the A button, I want the smiley face to show up. Well, what actually happened? Well, nothing happened. When I press the button, nothing happens. Okay, why do you think that is? What are some of the steps that we can go through to work backwards from what you're not seeing now to where the problem may be underlying in the in the code that you've written?
1: And that's that's just a good it's just a good teaching skills the the problem solving skills going back to ambiguity. ambiguity, ambiguity sorry, it's been a long day of teaching <laughs> um, where the the. The students just don't know why it's not working, but having them start to ask the questions, well, maybe the microbit, is the microbit, does it flash on there? Did you see a light? Have you checked to see if there's any syntax errors? where can you start? And having them to start asking those questions, that's something that they can apply to another curriculum or another classroom or just in everyday life, just beginning to problem solve. And, and something that's so tangible as as the micro bit allows them to do that.
0: The The part that I appreciate the most about that questioning of the intent versus outcome and the delta between the two is that that plays very nicely into more advanced computer science topics, especially around testing. Mm -hmm. So how do you test that your code works as intended? It's that same thing. Here's what the code should be doing, here's what actually happened, and here's the difference between the two so that we can see when there's updates that may have been breaking our our existing code.
1: This summer, before I started teaching the microbit, I was a little bit concerned because I was really hooked on EV3 Legos. One of the things that I was searching for were how could I incorporate the microbit to the Legos or how can I do other things to so we're not just using the microbit. And what I found was a plethora of add-ons and things that we can do. And I think that we've probably purchased almost everything possible to try out.
0: I think Would there's a few other things out there that we haven't <laughs> quite gotten to yet. But we've really tried to explore the accessories. And one of the areas that's really Come to play with that is all of the individualized projects. So we found many of the accessories have been valuable for our students to individualize their learning and personalize it through the role of their projects because that accessory or that add-on helps them with one of the problems that they're trying to solve or provides an elegant solution versus you know breaking out the soldering gun and, and having to go out and, and do more soldering.
1: And it's something that is exciting just being able to slide on the environment bit and know that we have an extra six or seven sensors built right in. You really don't have to do any code right away because the code's already out there on GitHub. That was exciting for us as finding those and I agree with the twenty percent time project. One of my students, I think I, they saw the the mitt that you had from one of your kids who had who wanted to sew on a, a bit And then she thought about what if I had a glove that I could use while I was doing my pirouettes, and I could tell if my hand was dropping down too low or wasn't tilted out. And we found the the pie maroni glove from the bit and what an easy kit. And then she can adapt that product into her 20% time.
0: And in reality, if she was trying to do this professionally, right, if she was looking at how can I improve my dance form, there's probably a more elegant or more optimal solution out there. But what a great way for her to take ownership of that and learn one way to do it, even if it's not the best way, it's something that she's thought of as a potential solution to the problem that she's uh, she's identified.
1: What I loved also about that is she got to sew the glove herself. So instead of just purchasing a, a cheap glove from, you know, from Amazon or something, she had to sew it. And she's been carrying around this glove, and she was so proud, even though she said that she can improve on her sewing techniques. But she's so proud of the fact that she sewed in the microbit and then the the nice little speaker that comes with the, the project kit. And it just gives some sort of new flavor to the 20% time. And what was funny is everyone was trying to steal her speaker, because what a, it's a great little speaker that connects easily to the microbit.
0: Yeah, I think we're going to have to try to find more of those, because so many of our projects end up being around sound mm-hmm. and being able to to make some sort of noise. And I think that maybe one of the few things that's lacking on the micro bit is some sort of tiny speaker that can make noise, like a, even a beep or a bloop that would would give audible output is something that seems to be in high demand for for many of our students.
1: Yeah, Pimeroni came out with a, a great little speaker that's called the Mini Moo speaker. And you just simply have a couple of alligator clips on it. And the, the sound's actually, a, that's a great... It's a great little speaker, and there's a whole packet of pre-coded sound that comes with it, so it's really nice.
0: Nice. So we're going to be putting links to all these items in our show notes as well, so if there's anything that you want to learn more about, go back to our episode page, and you'll be able to see the show notes for this with the links to all of these accessories and add-ons. A couple that I want to mention, the Cricket bit from Adafruit is a really great platform that they've come out with. It uses the same... Cricut platform that they've used for the circuit playground, for the Feather, for a whole variety of, of different microprocessor platforms, but they came out with one for the micro bit that has just a variety of connections to it. It has... Two different motor connectors. It has a NeoPixel connector, it has outputs for a speaker, it has a whole set of of signal IOs and servo connections and everything. And it all runs on their Seesaw controller chip. So it doesn't take up any extra connections from the micro bit. And in fact, it just gives you some library um code to work with. As of right now, that Seesaw code is only available through make code and TypeScript. I believe there are plans for them to introduce more of that with MicroPython in the future. Kelly, tell me a little bit about the Octobit, which I think is a, a kind of a similar board. It's that little white board that has pin connectors on it, and you can plug the, the micro bit into it as well to give you some extra connections.
1: Well, we haven't really gone too deep into the use of it, but I did have a, a student that wanted to connect some lights and a couple of speakers and wanted some extra places for some connectors and some male-to, male-to-male jumpers. Jumper cables and jumper cables. Jumpers. <laughs> Again, it's a long yeah. day. At just, school. just to be clear,
0: the jumper cables. You cannot use a micro bit to jump start what? Your car.
1: I, you know, I don't know. I bet you can probably find some I'm sort sure of power connector. You know, some sort of <laughs> relay. <laughs> But anyways uh, I love it. It, it it extended the the portability we have a a GPIO pen board and I, I think I don't have it in front of me right now but I, I believe there's like 12 extra ports in there just that alone including all the other the pens available
0: right it makes it really easy for you to connect things like analog sensors mm-hmm. or LEDs or other other just simple circuits to it much more uh, efficiently than trying to clip things to the with alligator clips to the board. And
1: there's nothing more exciting for a bunch of 7th uh, grade girls and boys than to have about 5 or 6 different LED lights lighting up, especially when we have a couple ones that are different colors. So yeah. I don't know why... Lights and lights and sound is the big thing for our coders.
0: You know, along those lines, NeoPixels are a really great, relatively inexpensive way for students to learn a, a bit about how color is represented. So a NeoPixel is a small red, green, and blue LED integrated light. And you can... Um, address them digitally. So right now we have a strip of about 150 of them doing a rainbow pattern in our room through the use of code. So you can code in MicroPython a NeoPixel strip that will let you address each of these lights and change their color by simple RGB color values. And we found that that's been a really great pathway. Not only do students get really excited about the ability to see these colors light up and to be able to choose their own colors, but they have to learn how to pick RGB color values in order to do that which we then explain to them is how you know most digital images are rendered using RGB. I
1: remember that lesson they were so excited I think I think you were trying to show them other features and then it ended up going into who can make the prettiest color and the fact that they can hack the code and I think you almost engaged every single child in the class because they were trying to to manipulate the three different color numbers and to make the prettiest co- colors. So that was kind of funny with the, the light intensity as well. Yeah, with
0: 24 bits of color, they've got 16 million possible combinations. <laughs> so they were pretty busy. I like the aqua. The last two things that I'll mention, there are some really great alligator clips that are good for for prototyping and just kind of quickly connecting everything. Kind of your standard alligator clips are out there, and those work really well, especially with the holes through the micro bit. It makes it much easier to clip on. But one thing I wanted to mention that was pretty exciting was that the holes on the micro bit actually fit a standard banana plug connector. So you can use a plug that plugs through the hole on the micro bit on one side and an alligator clip on the other, and that seems to hold up pretty well. I think we got those on Amazon and they were pretty durable and and not too expensive.
1: And that's really important, especially when they start making a prototype and the alligator clips are are not are not staying on, I think that's a little bit frustrating to them. so if they can get it to stay because again, they're kids, and they don't really take too much care or consideration for sensitivity of it and they you know they they're used to throwing around their computers and their their iPhones, but having that something that stays a little bit longer.
0: Yeah, that's worked really well for us. The last thing, and I'm not sure if I recommend this yet, there's a whole variety of cars for the micro bit that are available on Amazon for really cheap. I think Yaboom has one of the, the most popular ones. What I found with this is that they tend to be designed more for make code and for TypeScript. The libraries seem to all be written there we have been able to get them working with Python. It's been fairly challenging, especially since a lot of the code that's been written for MakeCode is half in English and half in Chinese. But what a great integration with the Chinese classroom. We do teach <laughs> Chinese language at our school, and so quite a bit of the the fun has been getting our students to, to learn how to uh, decipher technical Chinese language <laughs> and technical code. With that, we'd love for you to reach out to us with some of the things that you've done with the microbit. There's an incredible number of things happening all the time in the microbit space. We definitely foresee the microbit being pretty sustainable within the teaching space and will likely be many students' first introduction to Python is through the, the micro bit, especially in the UK, but certainly here in the US.
1: Yeah, and, and I especially would like to see some of the cool projects that are done in Python. There's a lot in Code and there are so many fun activities you can do with the make code and the block code, but it's not as in-depth in the Python. I would love to hear more about what you've coded and what you have available in Python and MicroPython for the micro bit.
0: You know, the other thing that we should mention also is that we are not strictly focused on the micro bit. We do use the Adafruit Circuit Playground quite a bit as well. And there's some things that we like about that platform for lighting and coding and in everything. Some things that is lacking in comparison to the micro bit as well. And they're really just different platforms for different purposes. But certainly if you're trying to decide between the two, I think you really can't go wrong. They both have a lot of great strengths with them. The micro bit has been a, a little bit easier for us to adopt in the classroom for those initial lessons. And then we tend to introduce the circuit playground later for more of the projects and things like that include the onboard NeoPixels, sound sensors, and and speaker work.
1: But if you're on a budget, I think the microbit is is a way to go. The microbit in an online editor or using Replit, you can easily teach a course with just those two, a good nine-week course with the microbit and a couple add-ons and additions and some alligator clips. So very simple, low-cost course for some of you who may not have the the funds.
0: Certainly the other thing to keep in mind too is that the microbit does work very well as a pair programming project as well. So if you have an average 24-student class size and you can budget for 12 or 13 microbits, I think that would certainly be sufficient to be able to have all of the students get something out of the experience. Yeah, definitely, I agree. So if you'd like to reach out to us about your experiences with the Microbit, if you'd like to, to connect with us, you can find us at teachingpython.fm on the web. We're also at teachingpython on Twitter. Please feel free to reach out to us at, at any point. If you get a chance, we'd love for you to review us on either Apple iTunes or your podcast catcher of choice. If you're interested in being a guest on Teaching Python, please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter or through our website as well. We'd be happy to hear from you. And we're always looking for new voices in the teaching community, especially for Python and computer science.
1: As teachers, we always like to have feedback and we also like to have dialogue and conversation. Collaboration is what makes us grow and in our fields. So if you have anything to share, if you have any questions, or if you have any topics that you would like to discuss, please, again, reach out to us at Teaching Python.
0: Last but not least, this is Sean. And
1: this is Kelly.
0: Signing off.